0: Hello and welcome to Great Ridge Station. I'm your host, Sam Helgerson, and I'm pretty much a fixture around these parts. Thanks for stopping in on your way through. Season 3, Episode 15. William Archibald Spooner, or rather the Right Reverend William Archibald Spooner, is best known for his verbal habit of switching consonants or syllables in phrases. His name is where we get the term William Archibaldisms. No, wait, his last name is where we get the term Spoonerisms. I have loved these all my life, and in fact, I've been susceptible to them all my life. Sometimes my failings are verbal, but sometimes they occur at the keyboard, as when thanks for the opportunity came out thanks for the pooper-tunity. Now, some might just call that a typographical error, but hey, who's the showrunner around here? In one of my consulting jobs, I got a new word from a research scientist. He was proofreading a document I had brought to him for review, and he said, there's a Spello and page two. Spello is a great word, made up on the spot, I think. Way more meaningful than typo. To him, the problem was the spelling, not the typing. It was a Spello. Again, not a Spoonerism, but still something to think about. But maybe not for too long. One of the Spoonerisms attributed to the right reverend was when he was trying to say, we all know what it is to have a half-formed wish inside us. Instead, it came out, we all know what it is to have a half warmed fish inside us. Well, this episode may in fact be that half-warmed fish. I want to share some ideas that I've been working on lately, but these are all still a little bit half-warmed. You can expect that I will revisit these ideas at some time in the future and finally make that fish woolly formed. One of the things I care deeply about is the idea that leaders are dealers in hope, Now, that's not an original phrase, but tracking down the actual source has been proven to be impossible. The internet is full of misleading secondary or tertiary sources. But never mind. The idea that leaders are dealers in hope and not in despair is foundational to successful leadership, and yet few people seem to take it seriously. Over the past few weeks, I've had phone calls and emails from people whose leaders have spread despair and then wondered why morale was decreasing. I know a couple of people who were laid off from their organizations and literally the next day the leaders were calling them asking them to volunteer their time to help out. Really. Musician Nick Drake had a song entitled Fruit Tree. I won't sing it, but I will sum it up in a very clumsy way. His message is that people tend not to notice a fruit tree and may not even notice when it gets cut down until they realize that the season of fruit bearing will not return again. Nick Drake's song is not about stewarding the environment. It's about taking people for granted and thinking them unnecessary until we want the benefits. These people had what I call fruit tree moments and the leaders are dealing in despair. It sends the message that employees are not important enough to pay but important enough to use. If that's your mindset as a leader, resign immediately. And no, I'm not joking. See, that leads me directly to point two. Personally, I'm a proponent of employee ownership of businesses. That allows people who share in the growth and welfare of the whole company gives them a stake in what happens. Now, don't hear this as advice. Please bear in mind that I'm not attorney. This is an informal summary. Actual mileage may vary. I'm just expressing an opinion. An organizational structure has to be something that gets, out, gets worked out functionally, ethically, and legally. The answers are rarely simple. Even so, please bear in mind that I'm not an attorney. This is an informal summary. Actual mileage may vary. Even so, I think that employee ownership is an excellent way to build a strong, healthy organizational culture. Leadership in that setting is not for the faint of heart. It's difficult because you wind up having a lot of bosses and a lot of competing interests. And as a leader, it's still your responsibility to lead well. One step back from that, but still helpful, is employee profit-sharing. While this can make the reporting structure a bit clearer, it's still not for the faint of heart. A few years ago, I had a series of conversations with a business owner who agreed with me, profit sharing is a good idea. He embraced it and began working through plans to make that a reality in his company. What he found was that the compensation for his employees would have put those employees far above the local market pay grade. The front desk staff would have made almost double the national household income. And he balked. The plan for employee profit sharing never saw the light of day. Now, I've heard of this kind of thing happening a few times over the last few years, and I wonder how common it is. Here's what I think happens in those situations. This is my analysis, and admittedly, I don't have all the numbers in front of me. But if I did, that would be none of your business. I can give you my assessment, big picture. While employee ownership or profit sharing might appeal to leaders at some level, it seems to me that how they think of their organization has something to do with it. This is always a concern. No matter the size of the company, you have to be able to sustain the organization. See, I see that as creating an institution. There's nothing wrong with that. Institutions are organizational processes, structures, fiscal and fiduciary structures, that allow the organization to be sustainable. As soon as any company moves from being a so-called mom and pop shop, that is, when they grow beyond the ability for one or two people to run it, institutional structures become necessary. People say stupid things like bureaucracy is bad because they have no sense of how important structures can be to keeping things consistent, legal, and even moral. Go back and listen to my episode on policy if you want to know more about that. Bureaucracy is all of the things that develop when a single leader can no longer make all of the decisions. That's not a bad thing. It is policy and bureaucracy, used in a good way, that creates an institution. When those things start to go sour, the institution resorts to institutionalism. Now I'm going to postpone the explanation and first, tell a story. As I was working on the material for this episode, another company, an American retail icon, announced that it was filing for bankruptcy. The company this time was J.C. Penney. There's a lot of history there, and Mr. Penney had a philosophy of service. Through the hard times of the Great Depression, making company payroll exacted a personal cost from him. He was forced to pay it from his own resources because he saw it as his personal responsibility. In addition, the company philosophy was based on providing quality products and quality service to serve people well and at a fair price. A fair price, not a discount. He believed that quality should not be compromised in favor of profit. And he viewed his work as serving people well. Now, Mr. Penny remained active in the company until his death in 1971. Now, I'm not going to second-guess the business decisions of the next generation of leaders. But I am going to question their philosophy of leadership. You see, J.C. Penny, it was all a service economy. He built an institution based on his core beliefs, his values, and his commitments. And when he passed away, his influence waned. He left behind an institution. And soon, the institution he built became institutionalized. Institutionalism takes over when an organization begins to think more about sustaining the organization then about serving its clients, customers, guests, whatever you want to call the people who actually do business with the company. Mr. Penny's ideal of serving society with quality products delivered with quality customer service at a fair price eventually got consumed by just keeping the company going. This happened sometime in the early 1980s, but that's my assessment based on observation and not on pure research. J.C. Penney's first move toward institutionalization was their attempt to follow the sears Roebuck model of expanding their product line. Though there were likely good reasons for following this approach at the time, the problem was they had abandoned who they were and tried to become someone else. They institutionalized because they lost their own identity. Eventually, they completely forgot who they were. The writing was on the wall for some time, and a couple of years back, the writing was on the wall of our local Penny's store, when they put up a sign that said, We now sell appliances. At the time, I said that it seemed like a desperate attempt to be someone else and go back to the glory days when they were just like Sears, and yes, I'm being sarcastic, preserving the institution became more important than serving the customer. This is the problem with institutionalism. It can sneak up on us. And before long, we're worried about how to sustain rather than how to be a benefit. The focus shifts from using the institution to benefit others to using others to benefit the institution. This is where the question of leaders dealing in hope take center stage. Leaders who've become institutionalized cannot deal in hope. They can only deal in despair because they see people, whether that's employees or customers, they see people to be used in the service of the institution, but the institution is not to be used in the service of those same people. At that point, the institution begins playing an ongoing game of trying to woo the customer, woo the employee, while never really caring about them. And that's how it happens. Now, I'm not suggesting that J.C. Penney, the company, could have changed its trajectory. There are too many complexities to their story. But what I am suggesting is that a focus on real, honest welfare of the customer, rather than a means of sustaining the institution, can influence the long-term prospects of any organization. I've seen the same thing in small businesses, nonprofits, churches, manufacturing firms, and media outlets. It's not being an institution that gets them, it's becoming institutionalized. The real focus gets lost. Instead of tending to the welfare of our clients, customers, employees, or hey, parishioners, institutionalized leaders use these folks to serve the organization. It's not a good term, so I'm going to make one up. Let's call them the service base, the people we serve. When leaders keep the focus on benefiting the service base, even in bad times, they can offer hope. When leaders focus on themselves or simply sustaining the institution, they have nothing to offer but despair, even in good times. As I wrestle through these ideas, I have to say something countercultural. I'm not sure it's our job to sustain an institution. It's our job to serve. Some will say, well, what would happen if the institution went away? We have a responsibility to be there. Really? Again, if your primary focus has become institutionalized, then you have no service or hope to offer. It's only when your institution commits to serve others in a contextually meaningful way that you can offer a real vision of hope. I'd love to know your thoughts about this. But I believe that's what it means for a leader to deal in hope. Thanks for joining us at Great Ridge Station. All content is developed by Dr. Sam Helgerson with appropriate citations of outside sources. Our sound engineer is Brick Martin. All background and bumper media is in the public domain and retrieved from archive.org. The opening music is from Guy Lombardo, Down by the River. The closing music is from Annunzio Mantovani, Skyscraper Fantasy. I'm already looking forward to your next visit to Great Ridge Station.